teed up what we knew here. This is this uh, is such a direct pronouncement of Dhamma, parent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading to liberation, to be experienced individually by the wise. So that this is why that it's always this immediacy of here and now, the Pachubana Dhamma, and that. When, why the way has to be mindfulness rather than doctrine or belief. And this word like realization is very significant. It's a, uh, a word that sometimes we don't, we don't uh, appreciate that particular ability to realize truth to realize the way it is. When you realize something, it, it's the, the ability to, to see something directly and clearly. And something that, like here and now, is here, here and now all the time for our whole lives, isn't it? There's only been the here and now from the, from the time we were born. Every moment is here and now past is a memory, the future is the unknown, but the present is where we are now. Here is where we are now. So that this is, this is a realization rather than a belief. You can believe you're in a, you know, very kind of, kind of you could make up all kinds of beliefs about realms and States and all kinds of uh, uh, qu qualities and conditions that you could believe in, but the but and, and that might might be uh, you know according to conventions or according to just your own vivid imagination or even madness. But the here and now is 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 where we are. I mean, it's whether you're in the celestial realm or the or the hell realm or just here in the shrine room uh, we're not we're not talking about where the quality of where you are whether it's nice or not nice or real or unreal uh, in its qualities but it's a realization of that wherever we are it's 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 here and whatever time it is it's now so this this uh, we emphasize because we we can give so much gravity, so much importance to ideas and thoughts and beliefs, and not really know where we are in any given moment. So we bring our attention, like the the breathing of the body, the posture, the sound of silence. All these help us to ground ourselves to make it to bring our attention to to the way things are here and now that all of us can relate to whether whatever you're feeling you all of us were probably feeling you know quite a different variety of feelings can exist in these different people in this room but we're all breathing sitting or in some posture there's a sound of silence. 
consciousness, we're all conscious. Anyone unconscious? Raise your hand. <laughs> we're feeling something, aren't we? Today we had the experience of a whole day of, uh, of uh, feeling cold. <laughs> well, we're just recognizing feeling. We're not commenting on, the, on whether it's hot or cold. We're just noticing feeling is this way. So, this is, to realize the way it is, uh, is not saying this, we're not absolutizing that, that, uh, that there's only breathing and, and sound of silence and consciousness as kind of uh, doctrinal positions, absolutizing this is all there is and this is the only reality. But these are the, the uh, conditions that we can ground ourselves with because these are happening here and now. They're not, uh, they're not the conditions which tend to, uh, say, arouse a lot of emotion or, or personal memories. Or, or it, they're not, we're not emphasizing like differences between men and women or monks and nuns or young and old or rich or poor. These can get into highly kind of emotive reactions, but breathing is just breathing. Whether a man's breathing or woman's breathing, we don't, we don't, doesn't arouse much emotion in our minds. There's a sitting or the sound of silence or consciousness. And this we all, we can all relate to as a rather neutral. We don't have strong reactions to any of these. So they're, and they're here and now. They're dhammas for us. They're not caught up in a sense of personal attainment or ability or lack of it. And when we get into various, you know, talents and abilities or class, uh, status, education, qualifications, uh, age, uh, physical beauty or lack of it, or man, male or female, or hierarchical position and all this, then we have, then we get into Say things that arouse uh, a sense of me uh, uh, and and you, we're emphasizing the differences, the things that are different. I'm senior monk. You aren't. <laughs> you know, I'm older than you are. Or But on breathing, there's no, there's no, nothing to, to argue about. So we, we bring our attention to it. Breathing is like this. And spending the afternoon walking Jongrom. Walking is just that way. It's just walking. The body walking. And establishing that into consciousness where you're, you're bringing it in, you're, you're not just walking as a habit, and, and, and just kind of mind going all over the place, you're, you're, bringing, you're bringing attention. You're saying, this is walking, the body is walking. There's this walking happening between these two points. And 
therefore, when there's, when there's, that's all there has to be. When we're doing the walking practice, we don't have to solve the Gulf War or personal problems or crises or or dwell on anything because we're 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 determining to just be with what we're doing. This is walking, and therefore we can notice how the mind doesn't. Now the, the, the thinking mind will go away from the walking. We'll start looking for something, something to think about, or suddenly uh, some thoughts will come into your mind and you'll, you'll be carried away on the wings of your thoughts and feelings while the body's walking. So you reestablish yourself with just the walking. That's all, that all, that's all you have to do, just walk back and forth and be with that. And if, as you surrender to that limitation, that restraint, then there's always a peacefulness, sense of being, of, of just simplicity and ease and contentment, because it's, it's quite a pleasant thing to do, to walk back and forth all afternoon. If you're not thinking, or not being caught up in your emotional problems and mind-wandering and going negative and and uh, creating complications with your mind. Now, even the weather. I've gotten to really like English winters. On a day like this, I really enjoy the cold weather. Bundled up in nice robes and padded vests and uh, go out there and and walk uh, all afternoon in the cold. It's such a pleasant thing to do. If you're not complaining or negative about it. Because actually cold is a very nice uh, uh, atmosphere to walk in. It's much better to walk in the cold than in the heat. And it wasn't that cold, it wasn't like freezing, but it, it, it was a ref very refreshing thing to be doing when your mind wasn't thinking about other things, when it's just with the way it is. With the light in the sky, the, the, the gray skies and the, the bleak landscape are not ugly. They're really quite pleasant to be, to, to be amongst, to be with it, to be out under the sky. These things are, these, these are when, you, when your mind isn't caught up with all kinds of uh, re emotional problems, reactions, and ideas, and views, and opinions, and compulsions, and, and that, then life is quite all right in its simplicity, and in its breathing, and walking, and sitting, standing, lying down, and in just the, the experience of consciousness. Nature itself is quite a lovely, lovely thing to to be a, uh, to be with. Just green grass or barren trees, in themselves, are quite pleasant forms to be totally with. To be to have in your consciousness and to appreciate in that, in in a conscious state. But yet, how many of you spent the day just trying to get warm or? or caught up in your own personal problems and thoughts and 
compulsions and making meditation into maybe a, a duty or an obligation or a personal test or an ordeal. Or to do it in order to gain something from it, in order to achieve or to, to feel that you should be doing this without noticing all this. Uh, this retreat, I'm encouraging you, trying to, uh, you know, really uh, encourage you to look at, the, at how, how you approach just the, the, the sitting posture or, or walking uh, meditations or anything that, that one is doing. What is uh, to really bring into your mind uh, maybe the, the feelings that, that forms, that the, the, the way you tend to emotionally react to just things like an hour's sitting or the idea of sitting in meditation or walking meditation. Because this view that we're somebody, I'm somebody who has to do something in order to become something else. That's, a, that's very easy to believe in. Very, very easy position to take on every issue, on everything. That I'm somebody who's got to do something, I must. Then I think, there's nothing to do? What'll I do then if I, there's nothing to do? I've got to do something. Got to, you know, the, the conditioned mind will rant on about all the things that should be done, and and uh, you can't just do nothing. You, you know, in a lifetime, you've got to do something. The sense of got to do, we have to and must and should. But we can realize that these are uh, emotional kind uh, habits that we've acquired compulsion based on this illusory sense of a self, a kind of absolutizing an ego. Now, like absolutizing is uh, making something relative into a, a kind of uh, a, 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 a kind of absolute, quasi-absolute. Like the sense of self is uh, uh, of me as a person can be uh, an assumption I carry with me and affects everything I do. Self-consciousness is one of the results, isn't it? Being self-conscious, you always, what do they think of me? What is, do they, they like me or do they, they don't like me or what do I, do they think I'm uh, worthy of respect, or they don't, or this, this sense of what others think and self-consciousness comes from this absolutizing the ego. Then I'm somebody, I'm a separate personality on a permanent basis forever. And that always means that that there's a feeling of, of, what, of, of me and you that, that has been absolutized in the process. So that you are, have become a permanent, separate person and who has p opinions and views about me. And we live our lives on these illusions, this kind of 
diet of of mirage shadows phantoms specters ghosts Tis we who lost in stormy visions keep with phantoms an unprofitable strife. And in mad trance strike with our spirit's knife invulnerable nothings. With the Gulf War, the this is really. I actually last night <clears throat> was listening to the news, and and I actually cried. I'm not one to cry really, but it is so extremely sad. This tears I found myself crying. It was quite surprising. Tomato, you know, cried for ages. <laughs> what is it? It's crying. Is it really? A, a very sad thing to, hear, to have to listen to is just this awful thing that's happening. Just the lies and the propaganda and the, the whole thing is so ugly and mean and, and, and uh, presented in languages of, of justification and glory and all that and it sickening and sad, very, very a feeling of really, of sorrow really, of, that human beings do these things. We'll put so much energy into doing things like that, like just uh, saturation bombing Iraq. Now the Iraqis have let loose a huge, uh, I mean, uh, an oil into the Persian Gulf. It's a 30 miles long, 8 miles wide uh, oil slick in the Persian Gulf. And one of the, it's really a horrendous uh, environmental disaster. Well, they probably did it on purpose. And so that this is still pouring into the, to the Persian Gulf, which means that all the life uh, Nature, natural life there will die. It's a, it's a quite a uh, all the coral reefs and the the birds and and there's some rare kind of these these uh, sea cows, the dugong, and the different kinds of uh, you know sea life is, is uh, will be uh, wiped out probably forever because it's a, a rather delicate uh, environment and it's at best, they have this, this crude oil flooding into it, into, a, in, into a, an enclosed body of water like the Persian Gulf. And it, it will just sink down in its kind of gunk, thick gunk, onto the, into the uh, seabed of the Persian Gulf. 
But it's like being a cornered rat. I think the Iraqis, you know, just do anything, just striking back whatever way they can. It's like if you're a cornered rat, you use every means. You don't have the, you aren't in a position to, to be generous and noble. You just strike out any old way. So there's environmental pollution goes on in the killing of the, the, the land battles have yet, yet to start and they seem determined to probably in a week or a couple of weeks they'll start invading Kuwait which will mean uh, you know the really they're predicting a, a real slaughter of life. Nobody knows really how, how much, you know, how many just civilians have been killed in these raids. So this is, uh, this, is this comes, this, this whole Gulf War is, is a result of that, uh, emphasis on all the differences. Islam is not the most kind of uh, peace-generating religion, is it? It's always coming, making these pronouncements of satanic, and America is the, sat the great Satan, and the ugly kind of things to say. So it, it doesn't, it's not a religion that tends to, uh, to uh, bring peaceful concepts into, into one's mind. They're more like a very kind of fanatic, passionate people, they must be the Arabs. And they can just get so wound up, so turned on by you know, such crazy dictators into shouting and yelling for blood. Makes you wonder, where, what, what, what's with these people that they just so, seem to be so easily manipulated by uh, emotions. But then one must look at oneself, how easily it is, how easy it is to get turned on emotionally by something. To press the right buttons, then boom, find yourself going off like a rocket. So this is where the, the, the here and now Dhamma is so important to remember and reflect on, to center and establish your mind in the breathing or the sound of silence, the way things are that, that aren't uh, emotive and charged with passions. Because the more you can do that, the, the more you will be able to, to realize Dhamma, rather than just be carried away on uh, as a kind of helpless victim of your emotional habits. You're saying emotional habits are like the Pavlovian dog. Whether it's appropriate, it becomes just a habit. You know, salivate when the bell rings. When there's no more food, I mean, usually salivation takes place around 
food, when you bring the food in, the dog salivates. After a while, you condition it to salivate with the bell. Nothing, nothing to do with, with food anymore, but with the sound of a bell. And we become like that. We become uh, just uh, salivating over a bell. Or, or we, it's just the, the emotional habits just go on. You, the, the button is pressed, and you go, bah, 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 bah. And then it dies down, and then the button goes again, you go, bah, 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 bah. And then you press the button again, and you go, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then the button pressed again, you go, blah, 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 blah. And then the button pressed again, you go, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you can go on forever, blah, 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 blah. Keep pressing the button, blah, 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 blah. And yet you think these emotions are really the real me, my, my real soul, my, my very essence, the really sensitive, sensitive personal, person that I am. Is so, so terribly, uh, easily hurt and offended, and I'm just such a delicate creature. And then press the button, don't you bet that. That's all it is. It's just a conditioned reaction, it's not, and yet, yet you can make it so important how you're feeling and whether you're offended and your, your sensitivity and your personality and your ego and all this, and all it is is just conditioning. It's not ultimate reality, it's, it's, it's a habit, and a, a habit out of ignorance and blindness. Now, I remember the last week I was telling you about the, my father. My father never, never really loved me. Well, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. <laughs> and then I thought, my father never really loved me. I went, woo-hoo. My father never really loved me. <laughs> and just well, the same thing over and over again. You think, this is ridiculous. And it, it's, it's a kind of, <laughs> it's, a, it's certainly an emotional feeling, and yet it is, it, it's like salivation when the bell rings. It just, just, you just become addicted, habituated to boo-hoo-boo-hoo over that particular thought. Now some of you really want to make all your problems very, very important, and, 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 uh, so you're, you're always analyzing, you're always kind of dwelling on, say, abused childhood or, or lack of love or, mis or things you've done wrong or, or things you've been, uh, unfairness has done to you. And, and, the, and, and whatever, for the rest of your life, if you, if you don't understand what's happening, you'll just You'll just be going boo-hoo, boo-hoo over all that the rest of your life, the same boring old reactions. When you're 80 years old, somebody will say, uh, did your father really love you? No, he didn't. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. <laughs> 80 years old. So you say to an Iraqi Muslim, you'd say, Is Israeli, and they go, Rah! <laughs> it 
and you say to George Bush, Saddam Hussein, he goes, Saddam has gone, you know, he's a war criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bush, Saddam, Saddam is a war criminal. He has to be punished. So that these, these are just uh, this is what what where you can you know you you see humor because our human state is humorous also because we are addicts to things. We take ourselves so seriously. We make trivialities into things of great weight, great importance, life and death, like Kuwait. We're willing to sacrifice. Saddam Hussein willing to, out of a sense of Arab, pan-Arab nationalism, or just because he's, he's, a, he's a, a megalomaniac, willing to, to take the world into a war. And, uh, Over what? Over, over nothing real, nothing true. And so there's reactions over the world of peace, people want peace, but but peace is, a, is, a, is something that, that really is, a, is not that easy for any of us, is it? to be peaceful. War is much easier than peace because uh, human humanity so far is, is, is we're, we're warriors more than, than uh, summoners. We, we, we tend to, you know, our human, human humanity is, is really, we're, we're warlike creatures the Buddhas, the Samanas, the the really the Mahatma Gandhis and Mahatma Gandhis and people like that are, are the kind of rare creatures that he did have a a peace pro, uh, protest for peace in uh, Bonn in Germany with a quarter of a million people attending, quarter of a million people. 250,000 people, and they said it was really peaceful. It was a peaceful protest for peace rather than an angry one. That's quite good, uh, quite good news, actually, to think of a protest for peace being peaceful. That's rare. <laughs> Usually peace protests are anything but peaceful. It's the idea of protest that makes it sound unpeaceful. So peace is, is a nice idea and a romantic image, but what does it take? Look at yourself, how, how difficult it is to be peaceful, to be at peace with yourself, with, with the people around you. Now like here at Amravati, all the people here are good people. We don't have one, one uh, Saddam Hussein. All moral, all have high moral, moral uh, aspirations and spiritual aspirations, and yet, how difficult it is to be peaceful, because 
that we're, we're not. This is it has to. This is a cultivation. This is a realization that takes place through mindfulness that peace is possible. Which doesn't mean that we should that that justifies war in any way, but it does give us a perspective on why why people why people have wars, why uh, this war is taking place, because it is it's a, it's a, certainly it would be more surprising to to uh, try to solve the problem with peaceful means. That would have been a enormous surprise to me to resort to war is, to me is is uh, isn't a surprise because that's that's what people tend to do where most human beings are and fighting uh, off the enemy punishing they want to bring back capital punishment in the United in all the states you know they want to to uh, um, they tried going without capital punishment and now they want to bring it back because the crime rate has increased. They think it's probably due to, to not having capital punishment that the crime rate increases, but I, d I doubt it. I think the crime rate increases because of the general ignorance and stupidity of the Americans. Not because because their society isn't based on values that lead toward say moral uh, integrity or or peaceful uh, where that which is peaceful is 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 highly respected or admired. Materialist societies tend to glorify violence. We have. In, in the United States, much more so than here in Britain, is uh, a glorification of violence, where guns and weapons and, and all of this is, is uh, very much a, 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 a dominant theme in the, in the culture. It's a violent country. A country that is a superpower, the only superpower left. There ain't no other. The United States now is the reigning superpower in the world. So it's frightening in itself because it it's not not a very wise country. Have have a superpower that isn't wise is rather frightening. To me, it is anyway. But it is; it does value dem democracy, and it does, it, you know, basic. It's basic. It's founded on, on quite noble principles, which we have to keep bringing back into the, to consciousness. But those noble principles don't work unless it's grounded in morality and a sense of understanding of Dhamma. Because just democratic principles without, without that uh, 
uh, without the nitty-gritty of moral uh, moral determination, uh, you end up with uh, just a, a vague and fuzzy idealism that doesn't work, like you see now in the United States, where people are trying to be free and equal through doing what they want, and uh, but not not being not really understanding what freedom and equality, uh, what that really means as far as personal uh, responsibility goes. Now in uh, practice, for this retreat, it's a, this is the 26th, so it's been a month since Christmas has passed, so January is nearly over. Time flies, time goes by. But to, to, to try to really look at this, uh, to really, to, to uh, practice so that you're, you're bringing your attention to the way things are, to the breath and the sound of silence, to the, the posture of the body. And, and do that in, in very simple ways. Don't, don't analyze yourself. Don't spend your time thinking about yourself all the time. I mean, you think about yourself enough to get, get it out of your system, but don't wallow in it. And, and just, then just practice. With, with bringing the mind to the way it is and trust in that. So that you're, you, you are, uh, your, 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 your consciousness is then being, uh, is, is with, the, with the flow of life, with the way things are, rather than just being always caught into an artificial ego, egotistical problems and, emo and these conditioned emotional reactions. With just the the uh, just the, the the feeling of having to do something, or the 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 self doubt, or the 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 way the mind goes in, in a sense of despair or negative uh, reactions. Just note that when as soon as you're aware that there's this kind of feeling of negativity, then Drop it. Go to the breath or to the silence. Bring attention to, to the way it is now rather than, than allowing a sense of despair to take you over it, totally. You just have to know that it's there. When it, as soon as you're aware that you're feeling negative, that there's negative feeling, or hopeless or despairing or being fed up, then just drop it. Go to. Make a determination to to, to uh, go to the sound of silence. Stay with that for a count of ten at least. To train yourself to, to be with the way things are, with that which isn't emotional. 
to get out of, to break the habit of the insidious habits that we've built, that we have around uh, our sense of self and despair and abilities or lack of them, emotions. Some of you get stuck, like if you, sometimes you go on retreats by yourself and you and you and you can go and you can get into a kind of a terrible doubts and uh, and get stuck in a in a doubt for weeks, can't you? It's easy to just get get obsessed with some kind of doubt or negative feeling, and the more you you try to get rid of it, the more you it more it kind of hangs around. You can't. The more you want to get rid of it, the more you, it, you cling to it. So then when that happens, just train yourself to, to not, it's not suppression. Determine it not to be suppressive, because the suppression is trying to get rid of it. But recognizing that it's present and then you, contemplating the breath or the sound of silence is not suppression unless you're you're just trying to run away in a in a in a um, heedless uh, un, unknowing way but it's turning away from from that not not letting these these emotional states take root in your mind and and, and hang around you for, for any any longer than necessary as soon as there's awareness that this that there's this then then try to be very, like, as quick as possible. Not to hang in with it, to give it, uh, to give it your, your belief, your, your attention, and be carried along by it for, for any longer than necessary. Because you can break those habits, a, the, but to just not suppressing, not trying to get rid of them, but by recognizing them, realizing it, what it is, and bringing your attention to, to, to the way things are that is non-personal, like the sound of silence, the, the breath, these aren't. These are non-personal, but they're here and now. And it takes mindfulness to be with them. You have to make a. You have to put your attention onto them, sustain and hold your attention, rather than than wallowing in all the emotional hang-ups and complications that you that you have over. My father never really loved me. Boo hoo, boo hoo. And trusting in that practice, so that you you you, you keep doing it because the the doubting mind's going to well maybe I'm not really coming to terms with my fears. Maybe I should really you know maybe I've got to do more and really 
come to term with fear, come to, you know, it certainly you've got, you know, it's some, some kind of deep, probably previous life kind of karma, this fear, kind of existential dread that, that haunts my mind. Wherever I go, I feel this kind of specter, this sense of impending doom following me everywhere. It's probably, you know, because my mother kept locking me up in a closet as a child. <laughs> Going on like that, and you can write a novel about it if you want. But what I advise <laughs> is, uh, is to drop it. Don't make anything out of it. <laughs> because this is in the refuge of Buddha Dhamma Sangha, you have, you have, uh, there's nothing to fear and nothing to, it's like catharsis and all that is helpful at first and bring things up into consciousness that you've suppressed. But after that, you don't need to keep doing that. You just have to let it go. You don't have to have a, a catharsis all the time. It's like having diarrhea all the time. So that developing, uh, cultivating the path in the Eightfold Path, this, this practice of bhavana. It's, it's not difficult, but it, it, you have to determine to do it. You have to trust in what you're doing, it's because the doubting mind is going to go on a bit and say, oh, you've got to, certainly you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that, you've got to do this, and after all, you know, you've still got so many problems, and, and I go on kind of battering away. Don't believe in it, in, in it at all. It's a liar. Your conditioned mind is a liar, is a liar. It's not to be trusted. It will go on endlessly. And if you keep believing it, it will just, you'll just go on with it endlessly. Perpetual confusion and doubt will be, it's not, there's not the Eightfold Path. It's not right understanding. Therefore, I just encourage you with this refuge. You are in the safest place in the universe right now. Buddha Dhamma Sangha is your refuge. There's no safer place on planet Earth than where you are right now. And there's, this is the reflection for you, just to, I don't expect you to believe this, but to contemplate this. 
you're living in in a very privileged way, in very kind of high moral uh, commitment, and and the monastery that's supported with alms and the whole the whole atmosphere ambience is one of wholesomeness and goodness and virtue. And also as an individual being, you wouldn't be here if you were hopeless. The hopeless ones aren't here. So even if you feel hopeless, it's only an illusion of your mind. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have any inclination or any attraction or interest in a place like this. It's because there is, you have the barami, the ability and the possibility to realize truth and be free from delusion that you're here. So that whether, you know, your, your, pers- your, your uh, personality view will go on, and I don't believe that. I'm, we, we tend to, to uh, give so much attention to our faults in the sense of thinking that, that honesty is disparaging oneself continuously. But this way of bringing into uh, your consciousness very positive values and thoughts about yourself so that you, you, you're beginning to not feel, this, not be caught in the illusions of your conditioned mind. Because that conditioned mind was conditioned out of avicca, bhajaya, sankhara. It's just, it, you can't trust it. It's not to be, it's not based, it wasn't conditioned on, out of wisdom and out of understanding of Dhamma. So, so what you think you are and the way you, your emotions work and all that, don't, uh, don't trust it. Don't take that as your refuge. And then practice cultivating this this way. So I offer this for your reflection.